Well, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to really trust in God. We've been talking about stewardship, and last week we started kind of a mini-series called Parables on Possessions, talking about what the Lord of all has to say about all our stuff. Kind of figure if He made it, and He's supposed to be in charge of it, it's good for us to hear what He has to say. And so last week we heard great words from the lips of our Lord in Matthew chapter 6 as He encouraged us to have the right treasure. And He concludes by telling us that the way that we have the right treasure, where your treasure is, there is your heart, is by having the right master, that no one can serve God and mammon. And so one of the reasons that this is such an important lesson for us to hear is that no matter how long you have been a Christian, whether it has been for days or for decades, we can all afford to learn new lessons. We can always afford to improve our understanding and our practice of His Lordship. When we are serious about living for the Lord, it is a witness to a world that doesn't understand what we do. And the truth is, when it comes to learning about Christ's Lordship, school is never out in that education, is it? You can have walked with Christ all of your life, and there are still new lessons to be learned about honoring Christ as Lord. And so if our, measure, if our message last week was about discerning where our treasure is. Where is your treasure? Is it earthly treasure or is it spiritual treasure? The message this morning is not about treasure as much as who do you trust? I mean, you can see the image. We print in God we trust all over our money, but then we live like Benjamin Franklin we trust. Stock market we trust. 401k we trust. And when we come to church to gather as God's people, if there's ever a time that anyone on the face of this planet can say, in God we trust, alone and exclusively, it's this group of people. Trust is an interesting thing. And in, in the midst of our passage, uh, Jesus is in the middle of uh, his most popular sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And you can almost picture all of these thousands of people reclined on a mountainside listening to Jesus preach. It's a peaceful setting. Everything is taken care of. People brought their picnic lunches and they're here to hear Jesus the traveling preacher. There is nothing at this point to worry about. And the truth is we are uh, worrisome people. Don't raise your hand, but have you worried about anything this week? Maybe just a little? Well, uh, I worry in a sophisticated manner. Mine is anxiety. I've graduated from worry. Worry doesn't work. And I love the story. We, um, We have continually been teaching our youngest, Colin, who's four, how to swim, Uh, The other kids are fishes. Colin is uh, a landlubber. He he is not all that interested in water. And so being the kind and gentle 
uh, instructing father that I am, I just want to throw him in the deep end of the pool, you know. Let's, let's get this fear over with. And I have, I have never done that. I don't need his surrogate grandmas coming in chiding me down at lunch here. <clears throat> but I have, I have tried to encourage him uh, to be in the pool without his flotation devices and show him that he can do it. Almost always after we get done with a pool session, he'll kind of look at me and I'll say, Colin, is everything all right? I don't trust you. (laughs) All right, no dinner for you. Go to bed. Um, Sometimes for us, when we go through a difficult time, we we, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God's in charge of everything, don't we? God's in charge of everything. He knows the number of hairs that are on our head and the number of sparrows that have fallen. He knows it all. There is nothing that takes him by surprise. And yet we wonder about his care for us when we lose a loved one. When we're in an automobile accident. When we suffer a financial reverse. And when things are peaceful and easy, oh, in God we trust, you bet. When things are more difficult, do we cross our arms and cut our eyes and say, what are you doing? This is my life you're messing with, God. Or can we say, in God we trust in the middle of life's most difficult circumstances? You see, when we talk about stewardship, stewardship is not just about your money. It's about the decisions that you make. It's about whether you own your house or God owns your house. It's about, it's about your perspective on life. But it's most ultimately about whether you trust God. If you're visiting here this morning, you, you'll find it really kind of strange to believe that people that love God and love His church freely give their money to help support the ministry of the church. That's because as Christians... We believe that we can give money away and God will give us enough to get by. We demonstrate our trust in God's provision by giving our money away, not foolishly, to things that He says are important. And so in our passage this morning, we're continuing on from where we left off last week. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. In our passage this morning, we have three commands to stop worrying. You find them in verse 25 in verse 31, and in verse 34. And those, those three commands are the whole point of this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. So if we were to summarize the message, it would be this. Don't worry. Don't worry. Instead, trust. That's a simple message, isn't it? But as we look at what Jesus says, we'll see that he provides additional statements to encourage us to grow in our trusting of him. Listen to verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body. As to what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than 
clothing. Verse 25 starts off with a for this reason, with a therefore. And it refers back to everything that we studied last week. Listen to uh, just selections from verses 19 through 24, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And for this reason, therefore, because you have the right treasure and because you have the right master, the logic is that if you have made those choices, you now have no reason for anxiety. Because you know what? Money's not your master. And so when you have a leaky roof, it's all right. God's going to fix it. You're going to be okay because your treasure is not your home. Because money is not your master. And because of this, the logic is that we therefore have no reason to be anxious when we choose the right treasure and trust the right master. And so the question kind of comes, what is the treasure? When he says, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven, we find out in context that the treasure isn't, isn't a thing. It's not, like, it's not like give up gold for like stocks and bonds. It's, it's, not an, it's not equivalent like that. The new treasure ultimately is our new master. Jesus is the treasure. He's the pearl of great price that is worth getting rid of everything that you have to have him. He's the treasure in the field that it's worth doing, liquidating every asset that you have just to have that. Jesus is the treasure. And the equation that the Bible is drawing out is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if in your relationship with God, it has to be Jesus plus a nice car, Jesus plus air conditioning, Jesus plus whatever, fill in the blank, it ceases to be Christianity. It it now looks and smells and kind of tastes like generic mac and cheese, but it's not the real thing. It's just got cheese. It's not mac and cheese. It's not the real thing. And so Jesus is telling us, he's the treasure. Here's the thing that's really strange. Even in the church, have you noticed that Jesus is only a treasure to those who want him to be? If you don't want Jesus to be your treasure, he won't be your treasure. Even in church, you can have people that participate in church out of duty, not out of joy. Jesus isn't their treasure. Jesus is their slave master. And the Bible's telling us here, you get stuff that you don't get any other way when Jesus is your master. When we delight in his lordship. And so the point here, our first point is this. Jesus tells us that worry is foolish because of who our master is. Worry is foolish because of who our master is. He says, we don't need to worry about our life, about food, 
about drink, about clothes. And Jesus concludes this first point by getting us to admit that every concern that we have is in one sense very, very small. He says this, life is greater than the little parts that make life up. Life is more than a name brand pair of blue jeans. Now, teenagers, I know your life will be over if mom and dad don't spend $100 on that pair of jeans. Not really. Life is greater than the little things that make life up. But you see, this is the very way that worry works. It works like a fog. You know, fog works. You ever, you ever driven through fog? You ever been to... We, we went to San Francisco on a vacation. And we saw about 30 seconds of the Golden Gate Bridge because they tell us that if you get to see it at all, you're really kind of fortunate because the fog rolls in and it obscures everything. If you've ever driven through a super dense fog... I don't know who the person is that has done this study. Some kind of scientist, engineer, uh, chemist. But a super dense fog that can cover up to seven city blocks 100 feet deep. You know what that is? That's a glass of water exploded and expanded on the molecular level. A glass of water right here. Seven blocks, 100 feet deep when you allow all of its constituent parts to become so big that it completely blocks your view. Isn't that what we do with worry? We worry about whatever. Things that we have no control over, and pretty soon we've got a traffic jam in our life because we've allowed a little itty-bitty molecule of water to be expanded into something that shuts us down. Worry essentially takes something Small and makes it big. And friends, if God gives the gift of life, if God gives the big thing, can we not trust Him for the smaller gifts that will sustain life? He goes through and He uh, continues. And He tells us that the challenge here is to stay in constant remembrance of our Master. And that by remembering who our Master is, This will make our trying circumstances more bearable. We we have a master who will care for us. But he continues on in verses 26 through 31. Listen to the words of our Lord. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single cubit? To his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do, <clears throat> they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear for our clothing? 
in order to encourage us in our trust. Jesus is telling us here that worry is inconsistent with the nature of God. Worry is inconsistent with the nature of God. By the way of illustration and penetrating questions, Jesus demonstrates that God will provide for our necessities, food, life, and clothes. As far as food and drink, look again at verse 26. He talks about the birds of the air. Consider the birds. And he gives us a list of what they don't do. They don't sow. And uh, young people, that don't have anything to do with thread and needle. They don't plant. They don't, they don't garden. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. They are bird brains. They don't think about the future. And yet they are constantly cared for. And then he asks the question, Friend, are you not worth more than some simple little bird? If God cares for them, why are you worried? God has given you an illustration of billions of birds that he feeds every day. If he can constantly and consistently care for them, aren't you worth more. As far as clothing, he uses an illustration in verses 28 through 30. He says, look to the lilies and to the grasses. They are temporary and they are unworried, yet they are clothed with an unrivaled beauty. Have you ever taken a drive in the spring and watched a field just explode with color as the field comes alive with new growth? God did that. And all the colors for our fancy dresses and clothes are but a pale imitation of the paintbrush that God has used to color His creation. We try to imitate creation by toiling and laboring and sowing when God just says, they don't worry about it, they're just beautiful because they are. If He's done this for the grass and the lily, which lives temporarily, will He not much more clothe you? Jesus chides warriors by telling them one of the worst things in the Bible. Oh, ye of little faith. That's not a flattering term. He's not complimenting them, saying, hey, good job on the childlike faith. You know, stay, stay in first grade that, forever. That's great. He's saying, you have little faith. And God's told us that He's promised to care for His creation. So when we worry, our anxiety shows a lack of trust and His promise to provide. And there's two points that I think uh, are made in these verses, verses 26 through uh, 31. And the first is that God is our caring Creator. He's given us this example by telling us to look at the birds, the lilies, and the grasses. And here's the truth. God is our Creator too. He he made the birds. he He made the lilies. He made the grasses. He made humans. In his meticulous care for something as uh, pedestrian as birds and grasses is demonstrable evidence that we don't need to worry. We just have the capacity to. But we don't need to. God has given us evidence that we can trust him. And he says, look around. Take a peek at nature. The sun rises every morning. There's oxygen for you to breathe every time you wake up. The birds are fed, the grasses grow, the lilies are beautiful. But a second point, 
And this is even better. Not only is God our creator, but God is our loving father. Listen, for the birds and the grasses, he is merely their creator. But for human beings who have trusted in him, placed their faith in Christ, he is not just our creator, but he is the father of all who are Christians. You see, humanity has a choice to make. Humanity can simply be God's creation, or by placing their faith in Christ, they can be God's children. And what they do with Jesus makes all the difference in the world. And that's why these how much more statements are so full of meaning. If he's done this for the birds, how much more will he do for you? If he's done this for the lilies, how much more will he do for you? And we're reminded of three things that make us special in the mind of God in the realm of creation. As human beings, we are made in his image. We can't say this about the birds the grasses and the flowers. You go back to the book of Genesis and we are told to have dominion. Mankind are supposed to be benevolent rulers over creation. And third and most importantly, God is our loving Father, not only because we're in His image or have dominion, but because we are redeemed. Those who have placed their faith in Christ Know that God has provided for our eternal destiny. Will He not do the smaller thing and sustain you till you get to His pearly gates? He will. Jesus finishes His sermon by reminding His people thirdly that worry is incompatible with our faith. Worry is incompatible with our faith. Listen to verses 32 through 34. For the Gentiles, they eagerly seek all these things, but know that your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. You seek first His kingdom and His righteousness And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In perhaps the strongest terms available, Jesus tells us something that should trouble us deeply. And it's this, worry is a pagan practice. You see, it's, it's kind of the pet sin of Christians, and you can see the cartoon here. You probably can't read it, so I'll have, to, I'll have to do it here for you. It's a guy sitting on a psychologist's couch, okay? And this just kind of proves how we like our worry. Our worry kind of, we want to hold on to that one. And the psychologist is saying, you worry too much It doesn't do you any good. To which the man replies, it does for me. 95% of the things I worry about never happen. Some of you will get that later. It means most of the stuff you worry about is stupid. I know that's crass. 
You cannot trust God and worry at the same time. You see, why is worry a pagan practice? When you are a pagan, when you are a person without God, the only thing you can hope for is what you can enjoy now. And if I don't have it now, I better get it. You cannot seek His kingdom and seek this kingdom. As a matter of fact, one Bible commentator has said this of worry. That worry, more than any other sin, is practical atheism. Did you get that? Worry is practical atheism. Because you are reacting to a set of circumstances like God doesn't exist. Or you're saying He doesn't care. Which is worse? Non-existence or being kind of a jerk of a God? Just not caring what's going on with His people. Worry is uh, income compatible with our claims to be people of faith. And so how, how is worry so incompatible? Well, two things. And the first is this. Worry dishonors God by doubting His love, by doubting His care, by doubting His trustworthiness, by doubting His integrity. Once you begin to worry, think for just a second... All of the things that you are implying in your worry about the God that you serve. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. Well, he said that he cares in his book, but he obviously doesn't care from our circumstances. He has an integrity problem. Or is it that you need to go through difficult circumstances to learn to trust God in a different way? And so worry is incompatible with our faith because it dishonors God. But friends, worry is bad because it's disastrous to us. It doesn't get us anywhere and it does not get us anything. As a matter of fact, you know what your worry might get you? It might get you broke into. And that thief that Jesus talked about in just a few, few verses above, that thief will come in and he will steal your peace. He will steal your joy. He'll steal your life because you'll be so focused on what God hasn't given you that you will be completely blind to what He has. Worries like this. Jesus gives us a really interesting illustration here. Worry is like this. In verse 27, Jesus says, uh, And who of you, by worrying, uh, can add a single cubit to his life? Some of you may have a different Bible translation. Uh, it says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Um, the, the original language is a cubit. And a cubit is um, kind of an engineering term. It's a, it's a measurement. And uh, there were many different cubits. There's an Egyptian cubit. There's a royal cubit. Um, so what is a cubit? Uh, depends on what kind of cubit you're asking about. But let's just kind of average it and say that a cubit is 14 inches. 14 inches. So let's think about life as a measurement. Life is a yardstick, Okay. And instead of saying that you have lived 70 years, let's say you have lived 70 miles. Okay, you follow with me? Not years, not time, distance. And he's saying, you've lived 70 miles. That's a long way to walk. And by worrying, you're worried about adding 14 inches to 70 miles. You know what? That worry is not actually going to help you go any further than what God has appointed you. 
And yet, worry is like a national pastime for us. We like it. Worry about, worry about stuff. Worry about this. Worry about that. And we have no control. And so what is wrong is this pagan preoccupation with worry. And you see this with people. Listen, I, I see this all over the place in our society. Do you see people that are so preoccupied with diet and exercise? Do you know anybody like that? Somebody who's really preoccupied with diet and exercise. You know what's strange? They're never in church on Sunday. They are so concerned about their ticker. They're so concerned about their shape. And they don't give one cent of care to spiritual health or spiritual growth. Does that strike anybody as odd? Or am I, am I just different on this? That you see people spend money on gym memberships and fancy diet programs. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But how can you be so concerned about your physical life and not be concerned about your spiritual life? The Bible says that we need to be reminded that our Master, our Creator, our Caring Father knows all things and He knows what you need. Your necessities are well known to Him. So here's here's kind of where the challenge is this morning. We've got some warriors in the house today. You don't need to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm, I'm the chief, elect me president, I'll be the secretary, I'll be the treasurer, the warriors club. <clears throat> I know we have some warriors here. And you know what? The Bible tells us that there were people in the Bible that worried too. As a matter of fact, there's a really famous character in the Bible by the name of Peter. He worried about everything. He worried about a great many things. He worried about a tax. Hey, Jesus, it's tax season. It's tax season, Jesus. Where are we going to get the money to pay the tax? Peter, go fishing. Open the fish's mouth and the coin for the tax is going to be there. Don't worry about it. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, I know you're like God and everything, but they're coming to arrest you. Can I pull my sword out and fight? Peter, you didn't even do that right. You didn't kill the guy. You just cut his ear off. Let me get down, put it back. Peter, stop. Stop worrying. John chapter 21, one of my favorite passages in the scripture. Jesus is out fishing, and the disciples are, uh, Jesus is on the seashore, and the disciples are out uh, fishing. And he calls them, and they come, and Jesus kind of makes a little campfire breakfast for them. And you remember, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. And in John 21, there's this great little story where Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Pretty lovely. You think that's a coincidence? You think Jesus just needs to deal? The resurrection took something out of him. He's got some short-term memory loss. You know, he forgot that he asked Peter. No, he is restoring Peter. And he's telling Peter his job once Jesus ascends, that you're going to feed my sheep. You're going you're to take care of my lambs. You're going, to, you're going to have a special role in preaching the gospel. And so Peter and Jesus are out walking here. And you remember, Jesus had kind of an inner circle of three disciples. Peter, James, and John. So Peter's over here walking with Jesus, and Jesus is restoring Peter. You'd think Peter would just kind of and just listen. You know what Peter does? You remember the story? He says, hey, Jesus, what about John? 
You know what Jesus says to him? None of your business. Don't worry about John. I'm commissioning you to be an apostle. Don't worry about John. I have a plan for him, and it's none of your business. And Peter had to learn that. That Jesus could take care of himself. He didn't need Peter's sword. And he didn't need Peter's permission when it came to his plan. And here's the thing that I think is awesome. Is Peter came to a point in his life where he stopped worrying. Because in one of the letters that he wrote, do you know what he said? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Peter had learned to cast himself upon Christ. And this man that worried all throughout his walk with Jesus has now become the instructor in how not to worry. Worry can be this burden that you try to hold up. Or you can just throw it on Jesus. Let him take it. Let him have it. We need to learn this lesson. Because worrying is incompatible with our faith. Because if you're worrying, you're not trusting. You cannot worry and trust at the same time. And you know what? The vice versa of that is true too. If you're trusting, you know what you're not doing? You're not worrying. So instead of worrying about tomorrow, focus on what God has for you today. Focus on what God has provided for you today. And if you want something to focus on, if you want something to be preoccupied with, let me issue this kind of concluding challenge. Be preoccupied with following God as closely as you can. Make your obedience the chief thing for you to worry about. Why don't you see if God doesn't take care of everything else that concerns you? Focus on following God closely. And see if all your needs get met when you're preoccupied with obedience. So we have the opportunity to celebrate our homecoming, our anniversary. There are so many things that our church has weathered over its life. And you know what our church has learned? It's learned that trusting God is always good. The question for us this morning is whether we have learned that self-same lesson. And friends, I can stand here and I can tell you, trusting God is the best thing you can do with your life. If you're not a believer, if you don't know what it means to trust God, we'd be delighted to talk to you about that. But if you have walked with God for a long time and you still worry I hope that today you hear that that's not the most mature expression for you to live out your Christian life. And that whatever it is that you're holding on to that you don't feel like God can take care of, I'm here to tell you with all the authority of the Scriptures that He can. But He's not going to rip it out of your hands. 
you have to come and offer it to him. And I pray that as we enter into this time of invitation that you will do just that. Pray with me, please. God, we thank you for your rich provision. We are about to head over into another building and enjoy a bountiful spread of food. And while we have sweet men and women at this church that have prepared it, Lord, we acknowledge that ultimately it comes from your hand. You've given us a building to meet in when there are millions of Christians around the world that don't even have Bibles or a place to meet. We've got beautiful homes. We've got reliable transportation. We've got our health. Lord, for those of us in this room today that have trusted in Christ, you have made provision for our very sins to be forgiven. And Lord, I will admit that there are occasions when I worry. And I realize how incompatible that is. And I want to trust you more. It just seems so incomprehensible for us to say that we trust you with our soul and then not to trust you with our life. So Lord, today, for those that are here, I pray that as we have this time to uh, sing and to respond to the message, Lord, that all of us here will respond in some way, shape, or form. We may not um, walk an aisle or come down here to pray, but all of us can say, you are a good God worthy of all of our trust. And we can stop our worrying. Lord, if there are those here that are not a member of this church, they don't understand perhaps what it means to turn their life over to you, I pray that you give them the humility of mind to take action today. That you will uh, convince them in their heart and mind that you are good, that you care, and that you don't just want to be their creator, you want to be their heavenly father. So Lord, I pray today, as we reflect on your grace and mercy to our church, as we listen to these words of Jesus to say, just turn it over to me. I pray that you'll help us to act in